Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Well, so this is our last, uh, last Sunday in Galatians. We started back in August and we'll wrap it up today. I can, maybe the whole book in just three or four sentences, which you may have wished we would have done back in August. These are the, here are the four The main message is we're justified, we're declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus. That's the theme of the whole book. As a a result of that truth, because we're justified by faith, then we get to live freely as sons and daughters of God. In our freedom, we don't want to become slaves to the law again. That's legalism, being overly concerned with externals. We also, in our freedom, don't want to become slaves to sin again. That's antinomianism or lawlessness. Basically, I can do whatever I want because of God's grace. We wanna walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. So that's, that's Galatians. Today, we're gonna look at Paul's closing words and the, the, his closing's a little bit unusual in Galatians. It would be normal just to maybe sign off or say something like, you know, tell all those guys over there we said hey, and here's some guys from over here who are saying hey to y'all. That's how most of his letters end. This one's a little bit different. These guys are in a pretty precarious situation, and he wants to take these last few sentences and remind them of the situation that they're in. So we're going to start reading in verse 11 and read through the end of the book. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people, excuse me, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and out of the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. So uh, customary for Paul in particular, but others, they would have a secretary. She'd dictate the letter. Secretary would write it down at the very end. You would sign your name as a way of authenticating that it actually came from you. And again, Paul, that's normal for him. In this case, he does uh, much more than that. And again, it, the content is different from his normal closings. He says he's writing in large letters. If you remember, uh, we said um, Paul gets to Galatia kind of, quote, accidentally. It wasn't on his itinerary. He said it was an illness that brought him there. And at one point he says, you guys would have pulled your eyes out and given them to me if you could. So some people think, well, he had an eye problem, and that's why he's writing with large letters. I think more likely he's doing what some of you do and going all caps in the text. That's what he's doing. <laughs> this is for emphasis. This is He's underlining He's bolding. He said, this is really important. Remember, again, it's been a while. August was a long time ago. These guys are in a really dangerous spot. In chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, you guys are starting to abandon God. There's nothing worse you can say to a Christian. That's the worst thing. You're beginning to abandon God. You're turning to another gospel. The word he uses is desert. You're starting to desert Jesus. That, that's where they are. And as he closes, he wants to remind them of what's at stake. And so he's, 
He says, on one hand, there's, there's me and my message. And on the other hand, there's this group of Jewish Christian troublemakers and their message. And you need to be really clear. You can't do both. You got to pick. And so he contrasts those two. There's a little chart behind me that shows the contrast between those two. Remember this group of troublemakers. Paul was a Jewish Christian. It's not about being a Jewish Christian. It's about saying that in order to be justified, declared righteous by God, you have to trust in Jesus and follow the Old Testament law. That's the issue. So we've got this small group of Jewish Christian troublemakers, and they're saying here at the end, we realize they're really just saying be circumcised. They don't even follow the whole law. And so it, it, this is not necessarily about the long-term obedience of the Gentiles or what they think is the, the best path of obeying God. For them, it's really just about being circumcised. If you don't know what that is, ask your mom. And the, what, the, what, he's, what, what they're saying is you need to do, they're, they're trying to force, that's that word compelled, they're trying to force these guys to be circumcised. Why? And Paul really goes after their motives and says they're not in it for you. They are not interested in you. They're not doing this out of love. They're doing this so they can boast in you in order to avoid persecution for themselves. So remember the setting. Galatians is written maybe 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. For the first X number of years, the church was almost exclusively Jewish. It was Jewish people who saw Jesus as the Messiah. They put their faith in him and they, they continued to be Jewish. Maybe year 8, year 10, year 12, somewhere in there, Gentiles begin to come to faith. And so the question is, well, do Gentiles have to become Jews to be acceptable to God? And Paul says, no, they don't. They can just follow Jesus. They don't have to follow the Old Testament law. And that brings him and these guys in particular into conflict. There's a small, small group. I don't know what small is, but it's a minority, far-right Jewish Christians who are saying, no, you guys have got to follow the law of Moses as well. The primary persecutors of the church in the early chapters of Acts is the synagogue. It's Jews, not Gentiles, who are giving the Christians the most problem. And that makes sense because Christianity originally came out of Judaism. And there's conflict over, is Jesus the Messiah and what does that mean? And so you have this group of teachers who have come to this baby, baby church in Galatia. It's young, there's minimal support. And they're saying, you guys have got to be circumcised. And they're not doing it again because it's what's best for the Galatians. They want to be able to brag, boast, take pride in their ministry success. They want to be able to say to, this, to the synagogue, to their Jewish friends, hey, listen, yes, these guys are following Jesus, but they're following Moses too. We're winning converts for, for the cause and there's no reason for you guys to kick us out of the synagogue. There's no reason for you guys to give us a hard time because, yes, they're following Jesus, but, again, they're circumcised. Like, they're, they're, they're Jewish. They're, they're, they're converting to Judaism as well. And so you've got this, again, for Paul, he's saying that they don't care about you. They're, they care about themselves, and he contrasts himself. His message, he says, is the new creation. We'll talk about that in a minute. His motivation is implied, he doesn't say it, as he loves them, but he demonstrates that. He says, I'm not bragging about y'all. I'm not, I'm not using y'all to build my resume. The only thing I boast in is the cross of Jesus, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. And in terms of persecution, he says, I actually bear on my body the mark of Jesus. So if we're going to talk about externals, here's one. If we're going to talk about our flesh, well, here's one. These guys are trying to get you to circumcise yourself in order to avoid pain on their end. 
They're trying to avoid suffering, and I suffered for you. First, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 11, there's this list of uh, difficulties that Paul experiences as an apostle. One of them, which we see in Acts 14, happened in Galatia. He was there, and he was preaching, and some Jews got upset, and they drag him out of town, and they stone him. And the reason you stone somebody is to kill them. That's the form of capital punishment. At the end of chapter 14, it says that they left him for dead. A group of believers gathered around him, and he, and he gets up. Whether he actually died or they just thought he was dead, it, it may, I don't know. But at a minimum, he got hit with a lot of rocks in order to preach this message to the Galatians. He's saying, these guys are trying to get you circumcised to avoid suffering. I suffered for your sake. It's a completely different posture that he's taken towards them. And he closes with this idea. He says, peace and mercy. Peace is one of those massive words in the New Testament. Harmony, wholeness, well-being. That, that's what we, we want, peace with God. Peace and mercy. Mercy is the withholding of judgment that we're due. That's for everybody who follows this rule. That word rule in the church, we call that, it's the canon. That's the translation of that. It's the measuring rod. It's, it's, it's the standard by which things are evaluated. So peace and mercy, that is reconciliation with God and salvation to everyone who follows this rule. For everyone who recognizes their justification, their standing before God is based on their faith in Jesus. That is who the, the, that is who the true Israel is. That's who the Israel of God is. It's not based on your, whether or not you're an ethnic Jew, and it's not based on whether or not you're a religious Jew. Both Jews and Gentiles are incorporated into the family of God through faith and trust in Jesus. That's Galatians. A couple of things for you to think about. One, this idea of a new creation. Every, that's what counts. Paul says circumcision or uncircumcision, that doesn't matter. What matters is the new creation. What is that? You've heard the phrase, be born again. The new birth, the result of being born again, the result of a new birth is a new creation. The work that the Holy Spirit does in us when we say yes to Jesus is so transformative. It's so radical that we are, it, it, it is likened to being born again, to becoming somebody new. 2 Corinthians 5, you know that verse, if anyone... Uh, if anyone's in Christ or a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. This is, we've said this a lot. This is not about bad people becoming good or good people becoming better. This is dead people being brought back to life. That's the gospel. This is about our old self dying and this new self being born. So when God looks at us, that's what he's looking for. He's not looking to see whether or not you're circumcised. And in our New Covenant, and for some of you this is maybe a bit more difficult than others, he's not necessarily looking to see if you've been baptized. He's not looking to see whether or not you show up at church three times a month. He's not looking to see how much money you give. He's not looking to see how much time you spend reading the Bible. What he wants to know in here, have you been born again? Are you a new creation? That's what matters to him. That's the work that he does when we say yes to Jesus, that's what counts. About a month or so ago, Trent was walking through the beginning of chapter 5, verse 6. It says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. How do those two things go together? Is it new creation or faith expressing itself in love? And the answer is yes, it's both of those things. If the question God is asking us is, have you been born again? 
Are you a new creation? The question we need to be asking ourselves is, do I, do I believe in Jesus? Am I expressing trust? That's what faith is. Am I expressing trust in Jesus? And is that trust being demonstrated in seeking the good of other people? That's what it means to love them. It's, it's two different ways of saying the same thing, or it's two different sides of the same coin. Our responsibility, we can't make ourselves new. Our responsibility is to, is to excuse me, is to deepen our faith in Jesus, recognizing that's going to be expressed in how we treat other people. His responsibility is to make us new. That's, again, two different sides of the same coin. So the question this morning is, well, have you been born again? Are you a new creation? If not, I'd strongly encourage you to consider it. We would love to talk with you about what that can look like in your life. And again, I want you to keep in mind, that's what matters, that's what counts. It's easy where we live, Bible Belt, to begin to think that what matters is our relative goodness. That's not it at all. What matters is, are we, have we been born again? Are we new creations? Second, and you, I may be overthinking this, and so if I am, I apologize. Um, the This idea of... Uh, I'm boasting in the cross, so what Paul is boasting in is what Jesus has done, not his ministry to the Galatians. But he says it's through the cross. Through the cross, the world has been crucified to me, and I've been crucified to the world. I don't think those are exactly the same thing. And again, this is maybe where I might be overthinking it. I don't think those are the same thing. When I think about being crucified to the world, I think about I'm, I'm dead to the world. And when I think about the world being crucified to me, I think the world is dead to me. The word world means three different things in the New Testament. It can mean the planet that we live on, the earth, the people on the planet, or it can refer to a system that's opposed to God, a system of values, a system of thinking, a system of living that's contrary to God's values and the way God wants us to think and the way God wants us to live. And that's what Paul's using it that way in in Galatians, he's saying that thing, that system opposed to God, through the cross, I, I died to it and it died to me. And again, I don't think those are the exact same things. When I think about the, the world being dead to me, then those values, that way of thinking, that way of living, it doesn't allure or entice me. Have any of y'all ever been on a rock climbing wall? You got those handholds. When to say the world is dead to me, is, there's no handholds on my heart for the things of the world to grab onto. I'm not allured or enticed by them. Like we might say, I'm not tempted by those things. To say I'm dead to the world is to say I'm not pursuing. I'm not running after the values and the ways of thinking and the ways of living that the world is holding up and saying this is what success looks like. This is what importance looks like, or this is what is actually important. Think about uh, maybe status. Status is a, a high priority. It's a high value in the world that our worth and our value is based on our position, or it's based on our net worth, or it's based on what we've accomplished. That's a, that's a value of the world. So to say, I've died to that, I'm dead to the world, and so... I'm not pursuing status. 
One of the places we can get status for those of you that work outside of your home, if you're in an organization, titles convey status. And we do that. Here's, here's where we are. What do they call it? The ladder. You want to be up higher up on the ladder. There's the org chart. Where am I? Who's above me and how many people are below me? To say I'm dead to the world, said that doesn't matter to me. My title, my, my title relative to other folks, I recognize that does not give me worth. That does not give me value. I'm no better than somebody who's lower than me on the corporate ladder, and I'm not worse than someone who is above me. Those things are irrelevant when it comes to who I am. So end of the year, y'all are all incredible workers. You're going to go to your, or your supervisor's going to give you a review, and what if he or she says to you, hey, here's a new, here's a job, here's a promotion, you're doing a great job. Does that mean you can't take the promotion? No, not at all. It's just a recognition, you're not seeking it for, the, for what it does for you. Does that mean you can't go and apply for a, a, a promotion? You can't seek one? No, not at all. It's just saying that you recognize that the, 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 the title on your business card, if people still have those or whatever's on your door, like that, that doesn't mean anything about who you are as a person. To say the world is dead to you would be to say when that boss comes and says, hey, do you want this job? It doesn't stir anything in here. You can evaluate it and say, yeah, you know what? I think I would. I would love to do that. That sounds great. Sounds like a great fit for me. I'm ready for a new challenge. Or, yeah, I could use the raise. Either one, but you're not thinking, oh, yeah, so now so-and-so is going to think this of me. In the, you know this, in the kingdom, the higher you go, that just means the more people you have to serve. Like that, that's the answer there. There's nothing about this opportunity that it can't, it doesn't, it doesn't grab on to me in terms of changing my opinion of myself or how I want other people to see me. Now that I'm a director instead of a whatever I used to be, or a manager instead of whatever I used to be. I'm dead to the world, and the world is dead to me. So to say I'm a new creation, you may be thinking, okay, the old is gone, the new has come. How come I'm still having such a hard time with the old? My flesh, we've talked about that the past several weeks, our sinful nature, that part of us, that independent part of us that wants to do our own thing, live our own way, apart from God. If, 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 that, part, if that part's gone, then how come I, I struggle so much with it? If I've been crucified to the world and the world's been crucified to me, then why am I still so tempted by the things of this world? The values of this world are enticing to me, whether that's the status or wealth is another massive value in our world, particularly where we live. Comfort, there are all kinds of things that we can list. The ways the world thinks, the way the world acts. Why do I still struggle with those things if, I'm, if that thing is dead to me and I'm dead to that thing? So I have, I have three boys. I have a daughter too, but she doesn't tie into this example. 22, 18, 14. Biologically, all of them are men. They're, they're physically, they're men. They're just as much a man. I'm 48. They're just as much a man as I am maturationally, that's not a word, but it should be, maturationally, they're not yet. Our 22-year-old, in that sense, we would say is more of a man 
than our 18-year-old who's more of a man than our 14-year-old. Our 22-year-old has graduated. He's married. He's moved away. He's got a full-time job. Our 14-year-old, we still tell him when they go to bed. Like, it's not, they're not on the same, you get that. Biologically and physically, they're all, all three of them are men. But maturationally, there's, they're, they're not. There's a, there are differences between them. One of the truths of the New Testament is we have to become who we are. You are a new creation, now become a new creation. You have been crucified to the world, and the world has been crucified to you. So crucify yourself to the world, and let the world be crucified to you. You are holy, now become holy. That's a truth. We are those things, and we have to grow or become those things, just like my boys are men, and they have to become men. It's not a contradiction to say both of those things are true at the same time. How do we grow? It's hard to grow into a negative. How do I die to the world? That's what we're going to focus on. How do I die to the world and have the world die to me? That can be, how do I even begin to do that? Do I have to move out into the desert and become a monk? Do I have to turn off my internet? Like, what what do I have to do to do that? We live in the world, but how do I do that and not get fully engaged in the world? So here's some ideas for you to think about. And you may, it's a bit of a process. If you're only going to do one, I would say start at the top. We want to seek to grow in our apprehension, our catching of the love of God. When we're thinking about God's love, we're not just thinking. We're thinking. We're experiencing. To know in the New Testament is relational and experiential. It is not strictly intellectual. There's an intellectual component, but it's primarily a relational and experiential understanding. The, the, the prayer that Morgan read over all of us when she dedicated, um, when they dedicated their baby, when they dedicated Caleb, we, learn that. Ephesians 3, 17 and 18. We can learn that. Write it down. Put it in your phone regularly, whatever that is, once a week. God, I pray that you would strengthen me with power in my inner person through your Holy Spirit so that Jesus would dwell in my heart. He would live in my heart through faith. I pray that me being rooted and grounded in love together with everybody else, that you would give me the power to know and remember to know How wide and high and long and deep is the love of the Father through Jesus for me. That I would know this love that surpasses knowledge. You can learn that and pray that. That's the foundation for us. When we're thinking about becoming who we are, particularly in this area, I want to be dead to the world. I want the world to be dead to me. The place to start is, God, I want to know how much you love me. And that is neither self-indulgent nor selfish to pray and to, to desire. That's a prayer Paul prayed. Ephesians is a letter that got passed all over the place. Paul is saying, this is what I'm praying for you as the church. This is what I want you to know. We need to know that experientially. Not 15 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, I had this experience with God and warm and fuzzies and I know he loves me. This is ongoing reality 
And there can be those moments of warm and fuzzies. And I hope you have those. This is a deepening experiential relational reality for us. It should be a regular, I think, be a regular part of your time with the Lord. God, I want to grow in my, you can say understanding as long as you don't mean strictly intellectual. And you can say comprehension as long as you don't mean strictly uh, intellectual. That's why I said apprehension. We want to catch. We want to catch the love that God has for us. And what comes out of that as our I'm going to say understanding, recognizing that's not intellectual, as our, or strictly intellectual, as our understanding of God's love for us grows, that then fuels our love for him. As, as we recognize the depth of his love for us, then that fuels our love for him. And I found, and this may not be the case for you, I found worship to be a great environment for that reciprocal dynamic. Worship's not about us, it's about him, and we can't outgive God. And so in worship, as we express love and adoration and praise and thanks for him, not all the times, but oftentimes, we receive back from him love or comfort or peace or revelation or whatever that is. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking to give, but again, we can't outgive him. And we're, when, when you get in that dynamic with him, you almost can't help but receive this corporately, one of the reasons we do what we do is we want to create a spot where all of us can engage with God. Not just think about him, but encounter him. It's also, and I would say, if this is not part of how you spend time with God, I would encourage you to incorporate worship. And you don't have to be able to sing great. To do, that's not necessarily what I'm saying. Music is really helpful. And you're personal time with him, what would it look like for you to begin to engage in worship? If you don't know, you can reach out to Bo. He was a guy that was leading today, Bo at StonebridgeMarietta.org. He would love to help you. He can give you a playlist. He can give you some pointers. Particularly, if you're like, I'm a thinker. If you're like me, one of the, one of the, the strongest uh, elements or components of worship is it gets me out of my head and helps me engage on a not just on an intellectual level. And if that's, if that's you, if you're someone who tends to think maybe more than you feel, then I would encourage you to, to begin to look into what, what does worship look like in your own life, not just corporately, but personally. 1 John 2.16 says, If we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. So I'm kind of using that in a reverse way and saying as our love for the Father grows, this isn't the greatest phrase but it communicates then love for the world gets pushed out of our heart philippians 4 8 talks says this these are the things i want you to think about think about things that are true and things that are noble and things that are right and things that are pure and things that are honorable and things that are praiseworthy and things that are excellent as we focus on those things then the things of the world y'all remember that old song we used to sing, they, those things grow strangely dim, or we just sang it this way. The things of the world are like a candle compared to the sun. And for us, as we're focused on him in his glory and his splendor and his holiness and his goodness, his majesty, his grace, his mercy, as we're focused on that, then suddenly my status at work 
it just it doesn't seem quite so important, does it? It's not quite as alluring to me when I'm looking at it in light of who he is. My bank account and how much I have compared to how much somebody else has, that suddenly becomes way less significant in light of who he is. And I'll find myself as I'm growing in my apprehension of his love for me, my love for him is growing, that my, the, my attraction to the world is getting weaker and weaker and weaker. Not necessarily by focusing on it directly, but by focusing on him. And as I do that, as I think about those things, him and his attributes, him and the, the things that he thinks are important, then the things of this world become less so. Does that make sense? All right, let's pray. Bo, you can come on back up. Ministry teams, you guys can come up. So here's some things. You can close your eyes if you don't mind. Here's some, lots of questions that you can think through. Well, three. One, are you a new creation, prayerfully? Are you a new creation? That's what, God, that's what counts with God. Have you been born again? I don't know. Do you have faith in Jesus, and is that faith expressing itself in love? If not, we'd love to talk with you about that. You can talk to whoever you came with. We would love the opportunity to do that. Second question. Are you struggling with an aspect of the world in your life right now? You're chasing or it's, it's enticing, one or the other. You're running after it or it's calling out to you. Without giving you a long list, just ask the Holy Spirit, is there an element of this fallen system that's hooked me? If something comes to your mind and you're willing, you can repent. God, I repent. I confess. I'm chasing the American dream. I'm chasing the good life. Whatever it is. And I want to chase you. So would you, I pray, would you Strengthen me on my insides so that I would know your love at a greater and greater level. That my testimony would be that the things of this world are just a candle next to you, the sun. Some of you came in with a need and we want to pray with you about that. Whatever that happens to be. It's legitimate and valid and we want to pray God would meet you in that place. And then in light of Thanksgiving, for some of you, this is not an easy, it's not gonna be an easy week. Some of you are grieving. This is gonna be your first Thanksgiving without mom, dad, somebody in your life that you love. We wanna pray that God would comfort you in your grief. For some of you, honestly, you don't enjoy the people you're gonna be spending time with. They're hard for you. And you're dreading it. You're already getting anxious. We wanna pray for you. God will give you peace in the midst of those difficult relationships. And for some of you, you're, you, you're thinking there, there's somebody on your mind for this Thanksgiving. You've been praying and there's, you're looking for an opportunity. And we wanna pray that God would give you grace in that. So Holy Spirit, you know what everybody in here needs. And I pray that you would come and that you would 
minister into the hearts and the bodies and the minds and the lives of each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 